somewhere in the 14th Street subway station, there is a statue of a little bronze man who waits for a train that never comes. I looked forward to stopping by his bench so that I could take the seat next to him and inspect my reflection in his shiny, bald head. My mom, Lucy Lavender, always said that I was just like my dad, Walter Lavender Sr., the same eyes and patience for listening, and that gentle way of curiosity and kindness. But no matter what surface I looked in and how hard I studied my features, I saw only my own face, bland and uncomplicated, and it was that, along with my silence, that others attributed to the dumbness of a slow, amiable boy. I did not mind, mostly, because then I was free to observe. Without the distractions of speaking and being noticed, I could listen more closely to what people said to each other and to themselves. I could watch more carefully as the skin of the world glided and stretched, and when I was open and attentive enough, I caught glimmers of the underlying bones and gears, and my understanding of the secret workings of life sharpened. In kindergarten, the teacher read aloud the story of Helen Keller and had us sit in the dark until our ears tingled, our fingers too, and we smelled and heard things we had overlooked. I wondered if that was what happened to me, the silence embedding itself into the crevices of my brain, forming a singular sense that reached into the borderland between the real and the imagined to discern the echoes of the imperceptible. My whole life, my mouth had been shut and my eyes wide open, and the deeper and darker my silence became, the more I began to sense outside of it, traces of light, shifts in matter, changing undercurrents. As I grew older and it became clear to me that Lucy didn't perceive what I perceived, it was already just another part of me, and there was nothing so incredible about that. The things I noticed were small and fleeting, easy to miss, scratches or flourishes in reality, clues that pointed the way to the larger truths buried beneath the surface, like the molten ripple along the base of a vase of lilies in danger of tipping over, or, when it came to people, the disappointed hiss of something doused before it could be said. Later, at Lucy's suggestion, I began recording these truths in my notebook so that my mind did not turn into a prison for my thoughts. Write down the things you pick up that the rest of us miss, she said. That way you won't forget a single one, and one day you can tell me everything. My notebook was my companion before I found Milton. It became a part of who I was, an observer, a witness. When I noticed a small detail about a person and jotted it down, I had a feeling that I was speaking and an ear was listening. Sometimes, though, I looked down at my handwriting, unreadable to anyone who wasn't me, the letters distorted and toppling over like towers of blocks, and a bolt of rage ripped through me because these thoughts did not matter. I could not communicate them to anyone. I was trapped in my role as an observer, separated from everyone else and unable to be a part of the story. 
That changed a few weeks before I turned seven. I learned that I could do something, that my ability to see around corners to flashes of the truth made me better at finding things. It first happened when a customer finished paying for her strawberry cheesecake profiteroles, and while Lucy printed the receipt, the woman touched her ear and discovered that her diamond earring was missing. I hadn't yet devised my rules for finding, but that time the telltale sign was an easy one to spot. As Lucy hurried around the counter and the woman crouched to sweep the floor, I noticed a delicate strand of silver trickling down her arm, a sign that she seemed to look right through. I tracked the silvery strand to where it stopped and reached forward to pluck the diamond earring caught in her sweater, and that was the beginning.